You are listening to Eating Cake, and we are coming to you through the technological wizardry of Anchor and Skype. And I am here with Ruth, and I am going to hand it over to Ruth to say hello. Hey, everyone. I hope everyone is like uh, coming down and getting to relax again after this horrid election and the dust flying everywhere and the debris and the buildings falling down and everything. It's just uh, chaotic and hopefully American can um, at least ratchet down the chaos a little and figure out our next move. That's right. And Ruth is coming to <laughs> us through <laughs> the technological wizardry of Skype also. And right now, just to let you know, her background is the White House. So this is just so funny. So funny. Oh, and this is episode, this is episode 11. 11. And before we really get down to business, I just want to thank everyone who's listening to us. We are near 400 downloads since we started about 10, 10, 11 weeks ago. So thank you all so much for listening. Thank you. We have a really interesting audience from all over you know, various places throughout the world. So thank you all for listening from wherever you are and be thankful you're not here <laughs> in the United States for those of you. We may not have the uh, funnel web spiders like they do in Australia, but we have many more dangerous things here. Yes, absolutely. So Ruth, What's your take on this week? We're, I'm just going to start calling this yeah, week yeah. the long election. Um, well, <laughs> give some energy over. Get give some energy over to this long and long election process this week because I think it's important to debrief about it and just see where we're both at. I think we avoided talking to each other a little bit before we got on, so we could actually just just go full stream of consciousness. Right. for this episode. Right. So what's right. up? Okay, well, the first thought that comes to mind is the word shit show doesn't really even begin to explain it. It's like, you know, a child had a tantrum while eating and not only threw all their food on the floor, but like threw all the glass dishes and broke them all over and all of the silverware and somehow got out of the high chair and emptied all the drawers and then went to the refrigerator and emptied that too. <laughs> so like there's food and broken glass and dishes like all over the floor. And that's like the image that seems to come to mind when I'm thinking about this election. And now the powers that be are going to try to mop up and they're already working on Joe Biden's image. I saw a headline in the newspaper that for four years, the white house hasn't had a dog. And now Joe Biden's bringing his dog to the white house. I mean, how many think tanks had to go over that and figure out how to like, make everyone feel better the white house will have a dog yeah you know I, that's so funny ruth I, well first of all what's funny is is that i when you were talking about the child with the food everywhere and broken glass i thought wow you know i'm actually not sure who she's talking about at this point the democrats or the republicans both you're easily talking about both so it was kind of, it was 
funny to just kind of think about this as I literally cannot tell which party she's talking about because that again it's all literally it's the same optics and who gives a shit about like somebody's dog at the white house this is this this is more of those feel-good distract distractions where people want to go back to business as usual and i heard the term the brunch liberals the brunch liberals just want things to go back to the same way they were and uh, honestly I do not believe that, first of all, I don't, I don't subscribe to the idea that we should go back to business as usual because business as usual is, is just carelessness and basically waiting for people to just die off so other people can be successful. And it's very, it's a very parasitic relationship. And I, yeah, I just, there's just so much to say about this people busting open the champagne, you know, smoking cigars, rooting in the street, just because the eyesore that you think is the basis of your suffering is about to leave office. Well, I just, you know, this is going to be, you know, this is just the calm before the storm. That's kind of my take on it. And we will just see how this goes. Sure. Prove me wrong. But fundamentally, this is optics again. The optics of a, a very, 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 very just hollowed out politics. Empty promises. Lots of, uh, you know tokenism and the identity politics that's basically destroyed destroyed the democratic left they don't know the meaning of the real meaning i guess for me is like the importance of recognizing identity but not tokenizing it i think that's the difference for me that that's profound um the the phrase um back to normal brings up a lot of things in my mind. Um, first of all, I, there was this great quote that I put in leftisms this week by, um, oh, who was it, Trotsky, about someone with a gun and someone with poison. And you take care of the guy sh pointing the gun at you first, but that doesn't mean the poison is any less lethal. And the gun, of course, is the Republicans, and they have undermined things. I, I'm at work. I get daily emails from the National Institutes of Health and DSHS, and slowly I could see through the emails on a daily basis how rules were being rewritten um, so that more and more people were going to be, like, harassed and more and more people were going to be left out of things and standards were going to be lower and lower for pollution. And so some of that will be corrected, but the Democrats are the lethal poison and they're no, no less bad. I mean, their optics are better, but I think of all the, the white liberals in the streets celebrating and I think that's great. That's their perspective, but can't you, can't they get beyond their perspective? What's the matter with them? Like, who's thinking of the perspective of the little girl in 
in Iran who now thinks she's probably going to be bombed pretty soon or like the black man walking in the street, he's still at risk for being murdered and gunned down in cold blood by the police. Um, and yeah, when when um, are ordinary citizens going to get their stimulus? Is Biden going to even do that? I mean, optics are something, but I don't know. Yeah, I just think about that. Yeah, well, optic. I mean, optics are optics. They're they're actually nothing. You know, like that's <laughs> that's the problem. Like, <laughs> right. Optics are optics are you know the feel good, like basic token politics that that the Democrats thrive on. And yeah, I mean, sure, you know, I can I can argue the Republicans do the same thing, but really. I'm on the left. I'm not really going to try and prove anything about the Republicans because really that's not the party that I've affiliated myself for with for quite some time. In fact, I, I actually consider myself an independent at this point. Um, yeah, just just simply because I have no interest in either party. And I again, like I voted for Howie just simply because Me too. He aligns with my politics. I'm not going to align with somebody who doesn't align with my politics. But that's not the point. The point is, is that these are just, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for, people are waiting for, yay, Biden. Again, we can get back to business as usual, have some decency and dignity in the House. But right, Biden is basically, I think he's, he's just you know, the Band-Aid. They're trying to suture suture mm-hmm. together a divided country that's been divided for quite some time ideologically. It's been, it's been ideologically divided, but also it's been divided by way of the rich and the poor that actually, who actually uses the ideological wars to distract from the fact that we, we live in an oligarchy. You know, we live in a failed state There are people living on the streets, in the woods, so forth and so forth, where where we've had opiate epidemics. We've had we've had all kinds of economic, you know, and social precarity that no party actually attends to. So I feel like there's a lot here to talk about just from the fact of. This is going to be a long election. This is the calm before the storm from my perspective. I'm happy to be proven wrong on this, but I just don't see this as really going anywhere except for the optics um, and to make the brunch liberals, the the petty bourgeoisie feel like they're going to go back to some semblance of normalcy, which was, for all intents and purposes was a was a is a vast distortion and a gross abnormality that actually needs to be destroyed. So <laughs> yeah. No, I I agree and I think optics um that's a nice way of putting it. Um it's all marketing and one of my very favorite movies is Enter the Dragon by Bruce Lee and at the very end, I don't know, have you seen that Nicole? Yeah, a long time ago. But at I, the I was very just talking to Bruce the other day. Yeah, yeah. at the very end, um, he um, fights the bad guy, right? 
and he's in this room full of mirrors and he can't see where the guy is. It's all like um, right. he's unable to fight because he's unable to see the real enemy. And he has these flashbacks to his like Kung Fu teacher who says, if you destroy the image, you will destroy the power of your enemy, basically. And so what he does is he applies that in the moment and he breaks all the mirrors mm -hmm. with his fist. And so then he can actually see what's happening. And that, to me, that's like super powerful because it tells us how to get rid of this, this enemy that's using optics to really bomb the rest of the world, bully the rest of the world, like keep all the poor people in submission and destitution and just have like the rich and then the middle class, they work, but they at least have a place to live. And that's like a horrid, horrid, horrid. I mean, how do we keep that from happening? And I think a lot of it, and I, I know I'm not alone. I know there's a journalist in Australia, Caitlin Johnston. She's mm -hmm. also working on this. But my idea has been to um, be the media, to keep on hammering these points home in the media because the traditional media, the corporate mainstream media, doesn't talk about this. All they want to do is, like, write about Biden's dog or, like, uh, Camilla's pantsuit, you know, stuff like that. And, and then the other idea that I've had is, like, I think we, we just have to thank Bernie for this reason. Is what Bernie did is he actually brought his political campaign and his campaigning over the years has emphasized the importance of actual policies, actual things that you're doing over like image. And so like he's focused on that. And I think in a, a losing way, and I think in a way that is sort of ridiculous because I don't think you can remedy the Democratic Party, but maybe he knows that. And maybe his only message was that you just have to look at the policies and nothing else. Yeah, yeah, I feel I, you know, I, I agree with you around Bernie. He did a lot for he did a lot. And also, I'm, you know, I wonder sometimes what what is he thinking? You know, like what <laughs> what is he like? What really you you conceded you conceded and jumped and jumped on the Hillary bandwagon back in 2016. You conceded and jumped on an even shittier candidate's bandwagon. I like I just it's just so <laughs> if that's possible. Like, it's just <laughs> like how can they? How can you? How can you back these people? They're yeah. they're one one is. One is completely hollowed out by way of just like selling selling their soul, you know, Which to one? corporations. I know, and, and the other one is completely hollowed out by simply, you know, being old and adult. Okay, and, so I get you know, the I, difference now. I'm just like, but they they were both hollowed out a long time ago in yeah. terms of like. They don't serve working classes. They don't serve people who actually need no. relief. No, they and, don't. And honestly, Biden is old and adult. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to dog out people who are older. But Bernie's 
Bernie's a sharp, a sharp tack. Biden is old and adult. He really needed to be put, put somewhere like, you know, in his house, you know, petting his dog, drinking a cup of tea, having his grandchildren sit on his lap. Yeah, just like do what elders do when they're when their years are waning. You know, yep. this is what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, you his his career was basic was over and they they revived him from like, you know, the attic or the or the basement or whatever. Whoever whatever analogy that you want to use, they took him out of one of those yep. places. It's and true. brought in the most lifeless candidate that we could possibly have and shoved it down our throat. So, yeah, so this goes to, was Trump right about the election being stolen? Probably. Yeah. But they're both stealing elections, like we were talking about. <laughs> like, they're both, they're both illegitimate candidates. I mean, Biden was illegitimate when, you know, he was pushed through instead of Bernie. How was his, how did his, how was he revived through coercion, through backdoor, you know, backdoor channeling and dealing? So none of these candidates are legitimate. And Mm -hmm. Trump has a point about the election, but he was stealing it too. So whatever. Oh, I'm sure he is. Take your fight somewhere else and leave us out of it. (laughs) And I'm sure that Trump is not just stealing it, but both parties are probably actively trying to destroy ballots. Well, that's the thing. How, you know, how is it that Biden, like, how is it that all of a sudden overnight states flipped? Actually, I, I, I don't believe it anymore. I than, don't either. It's like a decision was made at the top, I think. Totally, totally. So this is just, you know, again, prove me wrong if you can, but like I have a right to be suspicious over the fact that I think based on what I experienced when I was caucusing for Bernie in 2016 and how they just pushed through Hillary and gave no real attention to what the people wanted they just chose a candidate instead of listening to us. So yeah. And it was worse this time. Yeah. They're both stealing elections. So fuck them both, you know, whatever, man, it's all a farce at this point. And it is, but people don't see it. Like I'm, I have CNN on right now, like without the sound. And the, the headline is president elect Biden quote, this is a time for healing. <laughs> this is a time for healing. And how do these fuckers really think that, like, democracy is going to resume? Like, it hasn't existed for a long time. <laughs> and this kind of like, oh, we can get back to dignity. We can back, get back to decency. We can back to, get back to civility. And meanwhile... We, you know, people are living on the streets. You can get back to decency and civility. People are living on the streets. They don't have a stimulus check. People don't even have bathrooms to use, no, like I talked about no, in the podcast. And no. but we can get back to decency and civility. Well, and so, okay. in my imagination. 
in my imagination right now, the DNC are having high-level talks, but it's not about how are we going to help people. It's not about how are we going to get the stimulus out. My imagination, and I'm sure a lot of people concur, is that it's about, well, now Biden's made these promises to the left. How are we going to get out of it? How are we going to make it look good when he doesn't do that? How are we going to shut up the left and shut up the progressives? How? <laughs> That's what they're trying to figure out. Not, not like um, <laughs> how to help us. <laughs> it's just wild. It's really, it's, I mean, I, it almost feels like a, I feel like I'm, I'm in an alternate universe looking at another alternate universe and uh, and we've already told them the outcome of this particular permutation and they're still going ahead and going to just jump off the cliff. I guess that's how it feels. It feels very strange. Well, but, yeah. No, no, um, please go ahead. I was going to say that I think a, a lot of it and um, not to say that other um, philosophies aren't fine, but like a lot of it is goes back to, I think, capitalism. And what I think what I see happening is the people at the very, very top who run the parties and run the, the billionaires, basically, they still want to squeeze the blood out of turnips more and more. And like as there's the watering hole gets like smaller and smaller and more animals crowd around it and try to drink some water so they can <laughs> live these billionaires are not giving up on capitalism they're not going to give up until like half the population is like sick or dying i think yeah i mean this is not this is not going to go anywhere until we're all in the streets yeah. Fighting for our lives. Yeah. I mean, that's basically it. I we mean, we have to all get in the streets. Yeah. This is really, this is, that's the, it. this reminds me, I woke up this morning. I've been waking up pretty much most mornings thinking about a passage from Howard Zinn about the coming revolt of the guards. Now, I don't know how many of you read Zen, but I remember reading Zen back before Occupy Wall Street, because again, let's remember, this has been happening for a really long time. Um, the, like, the level of protesting has escalated. You know, we can go back to, I think it's 1999 in Seattle, Ruth, the WTO yes, protest. 1999. Okay, so, so 1999, then what happened? 2008? 2008 was the big reception? The crash, yeah. Yeah, so there's the crash, so that's like every 10 years, and then we have another one, we've had another one, um, let's see, 2019, 2020, so this is like an every 10-year cycle that something is happening. And so this is, this has just been ratcheting up over my lifetime again. Mm -hmm. um, I remember, you know, the WTO protest. I was not here. I was living my life doing other oh. things, mm -hmm. you know, kind of paying attention and also just like broke as fuck back then. So like, I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really have a lot of energy to expend on like thinking about politics. So, but yeah, again, 2008, Occupy Wall Street, and here we are, 2020, 12 years later, and we're in another cycle of protesting because the problems, again, the rhetoric 
the rhetoric might change, but the yeah. fundamental structures stay the same. Yeah. So yeah. people keep, ta- like, they keep hopping on to, like, these bandwagons where you can talk about, oh, you can't use this word, you can't say that, you can actually a- approve of this, you know, don't use this language, give to- token recognition to X, Y, and Z, but these fundamental structures of material needs never change. Yep. Austerity and neoliberalism has actually increased over the course of time. Mm-hmm. They haven't given us anything except for bullshit rhetoric about, <laughs> you know, maybe, yep. you know, I'm not, we're going to, we're going to change some laws around bathroom uses. We're going to say, you can't say this word. We're going to say, you can't say that word. And then actually not change the fundamental structures right. of, of basic human needs. You know, mm-hmm. that's, mm-hmm. someone's going to come after you after a while. People have to be out on the streets. So the liberal liberals, the brunch liberals, these feel good politics of like, oh, we've done it. We have the moral high ground. There's a lot of hubris. And I'm mm-hmm. telling you. We're still at, we're still in the time of the blasted tower. Those structures are going to come down. Maybe not right this minute. Well, but it's inevitable because in, in um, the very near future. Na- nature will fail eventually. Once if if we keep on uh, bleeding it dry. Um, in my book, I I just finished. I think, and I have my final draft of my novel, which I'm going to publish in. December 21st on the the great conjunction and the solstice. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, I tried to imagine what would bring the revolution. Like I spent weeks trying to figure out, like, what do I think is going to bring a revolution? What will do it? And so what I finally wrote, and I guess I'm revealing some of the book, but is the revolution doesn't happen until global warming gets so bad it stops the Gulf Stream. And at that point, there's no point for anyone to go on with civilization because the Gulf Stream stopped. Right. You know? And so everybody, like everybody, goes out in the streets and bangs pots and pans. And I had to write it that way because I don't want to be accused of <laughs> promoting violence. But uh, everyone will go out on the street at some point. <laughs> Well, you're gonna. We're gonna have to. I mean, we're either going to accept whoever's left alive. Yeah, we're. I mean, are we gonna accept a very technocratic order of contact tracing, mask wearing, fingerprinting, and you know, various kinds of medicalized like <laughs> regimes? These. I, I mean, know. the what? Like what? You know, look what they did to Glenn Greenwald for actually trying to publish the truth. I can't believe they so, did that to him. Well, I should say, I shouldn't even say the truth, but actually, a, like something, allegations that need to be mm-hmm. examined. You know, like yeah. for me, you connect the dots. He actually gave, you know, pro, like really, really clear um pieces of information that actually if you tie these things together if you put two and two together it's not it's not a huge logical leap but really this was about trying to make biden 
the most attractive, most acceptable candidate mm-hmm. and actually not not paying attention, not covering all of the, the corruption, the level of corruption um, that, again, to me, just indicates how we really are. We, we, we're living in an oligarchy. We're, we're living in a place yeah. where, you know, I could say oligarchy. I could play. I could say plutocrats. You know, I could just go on and on. But yeah. fundamentally, it's a failed state. This is not a country that serves the people. It hasn't served the people. It serves some people, you know, over the last, but it has not served the people who are actually propping up the wealth of the rich. And, And we're just in another situation yet again where the rich are playing optics, but not giving us what we need in order to survive you know, with basic decency, with dignity, even though we're not rich people. I mean, this is really, this is really what it is. They're just going to keep stealing from us. It's true. Um, Our labor, I guess that's traditional Marxism too, is that like our labor is stolen. Like really, I mean, the amount we make for other people is like astronomical compared to like what we get to take home and live on. <laughs> right, right. So again, you know, the actual value of the objects we produce or the services versus like the money, the <laughs> overhead, that's the profit and they're stealing our labor. So once, one, but again, the middle classes hold support and uphold the system. You know, it supports and upholds a system where they can aspire to wealth, where they can aspire to be like Bill Gates, aspire to be like Bezos, aspire to basically be the robber barons of our time. (laughs) Like, they're we're just living with a bunch of like people who the robber barons and the sheriff of Nottingham like running all over. Would like be spreading their vi- yes, spreading yeah. their disgusting politics everywhere. Yeah. So, so here we are. Well, I think I agree with all of that, and like my my idea for a solution has been first to smash that glass, to smash the optics, and to find a way to do that, and then also through education, because I think. You know, we're so programmed in America to think a certain way and, like, to smash that idea of, like, that power is to, like, bully people and get people to do what you want and force them if you have to, you know, through wealth or through physical coercion or somehow or just lock them up if they won't do that. And so I think those two things, like, you know, education and then smashing that optics, you know, uh, hopefully that'll bring us to a point eventually where everyone will go in the streets. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I think it's not just education in terms of like intellectually, intellectually understanding oh, these right. things, but yeah, and I know you're not saying that, but it just gave me, thank you. You yeah. just gave me a jumping point to go, to go to something that I wanted to say. It's like, again, this goes back to, don't rely on these institutions to actually solve anything for you. They're incapable 
of of actually doing anything. We've we've seen this for quite some time now. They're corrupt. They're they're filled with neoliberal shills who want to reproduce austerity, but and also get and also protect their own wealth. This is not about. This is not a system that that should be preserved. So no. so even if you voted for whoever you did, just remember, like this is not a system that that is a healing system. This is a military industrial complex. This is a medical industrial com- complex. This is an academic industrial complex. There's the nonprofit industrial complex. These people are in the business of just creating more business to profit and not about actually healing and building communities. So don't prop it up. You know, if you don't prop this up, this should not be like get what you can from it. But live your life in a way that where you can, again, detach yourself from the the tyranny of these systems. And I know I sound like a libertarian. And in some ways I am. I don't believe that government should be regulating and interfering and intervening. Like this is, again, this is an abusive state system, which I, I think we outlined in the last podcast about these are abusive systems and we keep asking abusers for help. So don't do it. I know it's no. really hard, but don't try not to. Try I not don't to see do it. you as a libertarian. I see you more like an anarchist, which I think I'm sort of an anarchist slash socialist. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, uh, in some ways I think there's a lot of, I mean, there's some interesting overlaps between anarchists and libertarians in yeah. the sense of we don't, you know, just, the state is not is not there to help us. It's there. It's there to harm us, in many yeah. ways. It's it's there to consolidate power. Um, the the idea of the public good in this nation, you know, ran amok a really long time ago, yeah. before I was born, but really took took hold, you know, during the Gen X years. Like I said before, you know, all the the cities I've lived in from Chicago to New York. I was born in New York, born and raised in New York and lived in Seattle and Miami. Like those were places that were destroyed by Democrats, you know, yep. and Republicans, but Democrats always said, we're going to take care of you. And they don't, they, they don't. gentrify, they gentrified and they, right. they, they, you know, basically pillaged everywhere. So that's my take on it. I mean, there's other, you know, there's a lot of other stuff to talk about, but it almost feels like months happened in the last week. And that's the strange thing <laughs> right. about, right. you know, history. Nothing happens for a really long time. And then what? All of a sudden. Days, days it, seem like years of like. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, that's <laughs> a quote really from strange. one of the socialist guys, I think. Yeah. All right. It really well. is. Hey, but I have one more thing yeah, I want please. to to read, you know, and I think we oh, talked, I think we, I don't know, if, I can't remember if we talked about Howard Zinn at the beginning of the podcast, but I know we talked to him, talked a little bit about him um, before we started recording, but I wanted to read 
what he says in chapter 23 of his book, um, A People's History of the United States. And it's that chapter called The Coming of the the Coming Revolt of the Guards. Um, (laughs) You know, so it's actually one of my favorite passages of his book. And this is what, oh, yeah, and this is what I was saying. I've been thinking about this, this passage for a really long time. And this is about the 1% and the 99%. um, And he describes the coming revolt. So I'm going to read this and maybe we can just talk about it for a couple minutes. So he says here, let's see. um, And this is in my copy. I think this is on page 632 of his tome, (laughs) People's History of the United States, The Coming Revolt of the Guards. He says he wrote this chapter not as a prediction, but as a message of hope. He says here, 1% of the nation owns a third of the wealth. The rest of the wealth is distributed in such a way as to turn it, turn those in the 99% against one another. Small property owners against the property list, black against white, native against foreign born, intellectuals and professionals against the uneducated and the unskilled. These groups have resented one another and warred against one another with such vehemence and violence as to obscure their common position as sharers of leftovers in a very wealthy country. Against that reality, against the reality of that desperate, bitter battle for resources made scarce, by elite control, I am taking the liberty of uniting those 99% as the people. I have been writing a history that attempts to represent their submerged, deflected, common interest, to emphasize the commonality of the 99%, to declare deep enmity of interest with the 1%, is to do exactly what the government of the United States and the wealthy elite allied to them from the founding fathers to to now have tried their best to prevent. Madison feared a majority faction and hoped the new constitution would control it. He and his colleagues began the preamble to the constitution with the words, we the people, pretending that the new government stood for everyone and hoping that this myth, accepted as fact, would ensure domestic tranquility. And further on, he says, however, the unexpected victories, even the temporary ones of insurgents, show the vulnerability of the supposedly powerful. In a highly developed society, The establishment cannot survive without the obedience and loyalty of millions of people who are given small rewards to keep the system going. The soldiers and the police, teachers and ministers, administrators and social workers, technicians and production workers, doctors, lawyers, nurses, transport and communication workers, garbage men and firemen, these people the employed, the somewhat privileged, are drawn into alliance with the elite. They become the guards of the system, buffers between the upper and lower classes. If they stop obeying, the system falls. That will happen, I think, 
when only when all of us who are slightly privileged and slightly uneasy begin to see that we are like the guards in the prison uprising at Attica, expendable, that the establishment, whatever rewards it gives us, will also, if necessary to maintain its control, kill us. Yep. So there we have it. I mean, he lays this out really, really well. In that chapter, 23, The Coming Revolt of the Guards. So, and there's more in that chapter, and maybe I'll read a little bit more in a, at a, on a different day, but he lays it out really well for us. You know, whatever rewards it gives us will also, if necessary, to maintain its control, kill us. And that's where we're at. And that's why, for me, you this might be feeling like a victory but it's the veneer it's a very thin veneer of the bullshit politics of this country that only that transacts only in tokenism in trivializing things that are related to the politics of recognition genuflecting mean in meaningless ways wearing kente cloth the whole nine yards and at the same time, this is what's being propped up. You know, the guards are propping up the system. And it just reminds me of all the times before when we do a lot of protest, protest politics, yeah. but nothing really changes. So I guess we'll just wait and see what happens at this point. My my thoughts on that real quick before we yeah end. yeah so sure. that reading was good and it brings to mind um, Anthony Bourdain I loved him he would go I'm sure most of you and Nicole you're familiar with his work um, one time he was in Vietnam and he had President Obama there after he was president. Um, And they sat down at some dive and had like some sandwich or something or some soup. And uh, so Anthony was trying to ask him about like um, what if he had to bomb and like kill some girl in a foreign land and that kind of thing. He was trying to find out like um, I guess if who's expendable. And so President Obama without any emotion he said yeah. You have to do that as president. That's what you have to do. I, I don't know his exact words, but that's basically what he said in his little matter-of-fact tone. It's like, yeah, you know, you might have to kill a four-year-old girl. <laughs> right, yeah. And that, that's the thing, you know, I, lives are, this is something I think we talked about before. I mean, I think lives are, abstractions, you know, for, for folks in power, you know, like Mm -hmm. this, some, of course, some people are going to die of COVID and those are probably the weak, the weaker ones anyway, you know, so, you know, these are, there's bound to be, there are bound to be some quote unquote losses, you know, there's bound to be some casualties. Like there, this is not about acknowledging that this was life that was lived you know, and there are people going to be grieving for the lives that are lost. This, this is not about that. It's about these are abstractions and uh, this is part of this ongoing process of dehumanization that 
that this particular government seems to be addicted to. Like this particular, I'm talking about the United States government. Like right. they're addicted no, I knew to, what you meant. to dehuman, dehumanizing people. So in the problem in, in one more comment before we end, yeah. the problem with that is that they can do this in mass to a large group of people, but hardly anybody knows to say, Hey, just what you said, this is dehumanizing and abstracting real people as if they're not people at all. And like, you have to have education. Well, I had to have education to do that. And like, I think most of us need lots of education before we can arrive at the point um, and be able to just recognize that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, from my perspective, I, uh, you know, I see this as all these, like, this is the death by a thousand cuts, these kind of slow forms, you know, of genocide, genocidal practices that, you know, we've, ne we've never been taken, you know, the government has never been really taken to task for because of American exceptionalism and because of being like the most powerful, having the most powerful military or whatever. Who's going to tell them what to do? Right. You know, but this is the thing. And I think this, this is connected to something I was watched. I had watched a clip a friend of mine sent me about Dave Chappelle. Um, he, you know, he talks, it was, it's a great clip. Well, there's the 846 clip about kind of like, I don't know if you saw that one about, um, his take on the George Floyd murders and he does a really great kind of understanding of history from his wow. perspective as an African-American man in the United States and what he thinks of as you know you know we're we're on the brink of uh, you know some hardcore violence coming up and we better be really careful about um, our next steps forward and again you know, he did another clip talking about, you know, what's going on in politics right now. And really, we're, we're really in, like, I think this, this is not over. We're really in for another explode, like, some real interesting areas of violence, you know, potential areas of violence. I think we have to think about the Biden administration as what's even a good word for it? I don't even know anymore. I'm kind of losing words at this point. Like how to describe these, like not just broken systems, but these systems of malfeasance, I guess. He's, they're he's just big like, brother. He's just yeah. like this image in a telescreen. That's like this pleasant sort of old man, good looking, you know, educated maybe he was a lawyer but it's just this image that the system uses yeah. <laughs> to like control everyone and incite hate yeah and I feel like I think there was something that really jumped out to me on like I was listening to the hill rising this week and I think it was crystal who said something like he couldn't like he couldn't even beat Donald Trump in a landslide like what does this really say about the system, like, you know, like what all you had to do was basically say you do better than Donald Trump. And here we are, you know, people scamming each other in this election. I mean, it's just so wild. I mean, I, it's like there's at some point you just have to say, OK, 
what's next? So I think, again, I'm in the camp of what's next? Be prepared for something, but also live your life in joy. Live your life in joy while the system is crumbling around you. You know, maybe maybe people will finally get a wake up call if all water is privatized and you can't actually and it's no longer a public works. I have no idea. But fundamentally, at some point, if you're not going to actually acknowledge the level of dehumanization that's taking place now, they're going to come for you, too. Again, this goes back to what Howard Zinn is saying. They're going to, the only way these folks' feet are going to be put to the fire is when they experience dehumanization themselves. And maybe that's what needs to happen. And that's, maybe this is going back to Baldwin too. Maybe this is the only way that things are going to change when the house burns down, if they burn their own house down. Maybe they'll see that, oh, this is, we did this. The ashes that are here, it's because we supported the system for so long. Such an abusive structure. So we'll see. But I'm going to be joyful. Because why? That's the part, That's also part of survival. We've yeah. got to be able to survive with joy. Still be human. Laugh at the system. Mock it, if you will. But take walks in the woods. Hang out with friends. Prepare for, you know the weeks to come knowing that it's not necessarily going to get better, but it's just going to, we're going to see more of the same garbage and learn how to live with joy because we need to keep our joy and we need to keep our creative faculties in order to just, so that when this is really going to go down, whenever it is, we're going to, we'll be able to envision a new future for ourselves. I think. I think that's that's kind of where I'm at. I don't know. I think, yeah, it's just it's weird to like to have this podcast because I'm not invested in either candidate, so I don't really yeah. have a lot to say <laughs> about either. Me one of too. Them. And what you said was just very uh, the loveliest rant I've heard in a long time. <laughs> oh gosh, I don't mean to be ranting, but it's just kind no, of no, like, no. Oh, it's a good rant, yeah. like a joyful and powerful rant. So. You got to, like, steal back some joy. You know, they're stealing the elections. You take back your joy. You take back you, you take back your time, like we were talking about before. And, you know, be safe, but be social as well. So well, it's like in the Shawshank Redemption. Have you yep. seen that? Oh, my so God. My hands when, down, one of my favorites. When the guy, the prisoner... He he d- plays the music and gets put in the hole. And yep. then afterward, he's telling his uh, his friends at at the meal. He says, "That's the part they can't take. You know, they can't take what's inside of you." He's he's in the dehumanized environment, completely yep. dehumanized. And he says, "There's a part of you they can't they can't take." So they can't take it. And that's a great ending. I love it. I loved ending on the shot. This- Hands yeah. down, one of my favorite movies. It's a great movie. I te- I use that movie in my prisons class oh. for many, many different reasons. Right. So I'm really glad yeah. that you brought that up. Yeah. So I think we wanted to also end on kind of a shout out for the music from oh, yeah, Art yeah. Reel. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Art Reel is the song title that we're using, that we used in the last podcast, but also this one as well. And the artist is Sodium Bicarbonate. And I loved the description of this particular track, and I'm just going to read it here. Um, a little bit about Sodium Bicarbonate and also Art Reel. Originally from Stillwell, Kansas, and moved to Washington in 2006, Sodium Bicarbonate creates and produces music for his own therapy. The song Art Reel is an example of his music. Art Reel was composed in 2019, days after attending an orchestra performance at the Community Performing Arts Center in Shoreline, Washington. Art Reel is about experiencing humanity with a holistic perspective. Wow. More importantly, a reminder that when someone retires to their bed, someone else on the other side of the globe is only waking up. And despite the position of the sun in the sky, each person will separate time by eating meals. Because we are literally motivated by hunger, we need to eat even after eating, we are still not complete. We will need to eat again. Wow. So thank you, Sodium Bicarbonate, for that, for, for sharing your work with us. We really appreciate it. And we are going to close now. I'm coming from the Pacific Northwest near the home of the Lummi Nation. This land is part of the Lummi Nation. And Ruth? Coming from, uh, uh, I can't think. I'm sorry. My brain du is. Salish Sea Duwamish. Salish Sea Duwamish. That's it. <laughs> I know. It's a, it's been a wild week. And, and yeah, we're kind of in our weird time warp bubble, but Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for the 400 downloads. Thanks for um, just being around to listen to what we have to say because we're just putting it out there as a, as a community building, trying to stay sane during in, an, in, a, in a politically and socially insane climate. So thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time.